welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Welcome to the ABCA's mini-series, Father and Son. In this series, we cover the coach-player and parent-child relationship through the eyes of the coach and their sons who played for them. This is a truly unique relationship, and this mini-series should be of value to any coach, parent, or player. Thanks for tuning in, and please enjoy Father and Son. Next on Father and Son are Mike, Ben, Drew, and Sam Bianco. Coach Bianco has been the head coach at Ole Miss for 19 seasons. He's the winningest and longest active coach in SEC among all baseball, basketball, and football coaches. In those 19 seasons, Ole Miss has 16 regional appearances, six super regional berths, and one college World Series appearance. He won three national championships on Skip Berkman's staff at LSU. He was also an assistant for coaching legend Jim Wells at Northwestern State. His first head coaching gig was at McNeese State. Ben is a junior at Louisville, Drew is a sophomore at LSU, and Sam is a senior at Oxford High School and is committed to go play at the University of Louisiana. Welcome to Father and Son. And then Mike, Mike Jr., what's he doing now? I saw he went to Delgado for a year. Is he coaching – was he coaching youth right. baseball? He's back. He's trying to finish his degree here. And he's uh, – this past – he's been coaching with the Yalabusha Giants, which is a travel organization, travel baseball organization. I actually coached Sam, you know, a little bit this past summer. He was coaching a younger team and older team. Younger team early spring. And then summer he coaches the older team. Uh, sometimes they um, – Combined forces with uh, BPA out of California. Okay. Uh, Planning for the perfect game events. Um, but uh, this past uh, spring, he actually uh, coached at Kirk Academy, which is a private school uh, here, about 45 minutes, 50 minutes uh, southwest of us in Grenada, Mississippi. And um, they lost their coach like in December and we're looking for a coach. And so, uh, he's kind of taking that on. So, um, Sam, how was that? It was good. It was fun. Um, you know, he's. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was going to be difficult. You know, if he was going to be bossy or you know, uh, but no, it was fun, and I got to travel with him, and we had a good time. What's the age difference for you guys? Um, he's twenty four. I'm about to be nineteen, so like five years. Yep, a little over five years. Yep. This is probably one of the benefits of the whole coronavirus thing is that I've been able to get a hold of everybody and we would have never been able to do this during the season. And uh, Ben saw you guys a little bit at Wake Forest and then Mike got a chance to see you guys over at East Carolina. So this this has been neat for me to be able to get everybody together and, and ask questions. And I wanted to jump right in. Mike, can you just talk about the process of having your sons um, go play for, for someone else? Sure. You know, it, um, you know, I've been here, as you know, for 20 years. And when we got to Oxford uh, back in the summer of 2000, you know, at the time, uh, we only had three, three children, three boys, Michael, our oldest, 
uh, Ben and, and Drew and Sam, you know, wasn't born yet. And of course our, our youngest Catherine wasn't born yet, but I think that was the time where we you started to realize you have three boys and as a baseball coach, you don't know what's, you know, if they're even going to like baseball. I think that was our hope. My, my first hope was that they would just even enjoy it just because of what I do for a living. They, they were going to, they were going to get dragged to so many games um, over the course of their lifetime that it would make it a lot easier for their mother. Uh, but as you know, they started to get into T-ball and little league and stuff like that. I think you started to realize that, Hey, I still don't know if they're going to be college baseball players, but if they're college baseball players, what happens? And you start to see those things like Mike Martin and Mike Martin Jr. And, you know, you, uh, you know, at that time, I remember Rod Delmonico in the SEC uh, and Tony was, you know, in high school and would he recruit Tony? And obviously he did. And, and you started to formulate an opinion on it. And one of the things that we, I, I think just kept coming back to Cammy, uh, my wife and I, uh, was, you know, they would never have the same experience as a regular college baseball player if they were to come here. You know, uh, certainly from a selfish side, uh, we'd get to see them play. It would be neat to, to, to experience it with them, you know, more so than any other parent. Uh, but, you know, growing up, I've missed so many of their games uh, growing up. Um, you know, I don't think this time would be, you know, the right time to be selfish. I think, you know, they're going to get to learn more. I think they would enjoy it because they get to be college baseball players and walk into a locker room and be a, a regular player like everybody else versus being the coach's kid. Um, and it really wasn't ever the, the thought of could I handle it or could any of those guys handle it? You know, it's not, hey, I think we could handle it. But why should we? Why, why, you know, if you're good enough to play at Ole Miss, you're good enough to play anywhere. And so you go ahead and, and, and find your place. And, uh, and, you know, I think, you know, certainly that's what this conversation will be like today. But, you know, I think, you know, they're, they're all happy with their decisions. And, and that's why I wanted to get you guys on here because it is a, a really good counterpoint. Um, Coach Bianco, what other coaches did you lean on? With that, and that's been a common theme with everyone that I've talked to. They all reached out to other coaches that were going through the process with it. What other coaches? Who other else did you you reach out to? You know, the truth is, I remember talking to Rod about it, and uh, and, and Rod's a unique situation because when when Rod, uh, I remember a comment that Rod Rod made uh, about about Tony because you know I called him about you know would Tony come play for him because we wanted to recruit Tony. And he said, yes. And, you know, we talked a little bit about it at that time. And now Tony in its freshman year, if I remember, uh, was starting at shortstop having a really good year, but Tennessee wasn't having a great year. And I remember Rod, uh, you know, explaining to me, he said, yeah, he said, I would do it over again. He said, but, you know, there's some obstacles that, you know, we didn't really think. Cause I remember uh, Rod saying, Hey, listen, um, you don't have a problem if he's the best one on the field or if he's the best player. Well, well, Tony was a terrific player. Of course, at that time, you don't know how good your kids are going to be, right? Um, but one of the things that Rod said that, that I haven't lived through, obviously, but he did is, hey, on a Friday night, you may have lost, but your son had a great game, you know? And as you get on that bus and you're driving back to your respective hotel or whatnot, um, you know, it's a lot of mixed emotions. As a dad, you want to be you know, excited and happy for your son. But again, your job and your team, you just lost or vice versa. You know, hey, you just won on Friday night, but your son went over four and made an error. And as he's coming onto the bus, you know, you can see he's he's down. 
and those kind of you know pooling of emotions. I remember him sharing that with me. Uh, but then also looking from afar. But one of the things that I, I got feedback, different emails as the kids were uh, in high school, and just to let people know that they weren't going to play for me. I remember people asking the exact questions that you're asking, Ryan, why? And it was really for the, for the same reason. And I think now a few years into it, you know, three years with Ben and two years with Drew and about to enter it with Sam, I think uh, my wife got a little taste of it this past year with Ben at our stadium. And it was miserable for her. And uh, and, uh, last year, she didn't go to Baton Rouge when we played LSU when when Drew was there. Uh, But I don't think she looks forward as a as a parent. She doesn't look forward to that. And so she's, I think, as thankful as anybody that that they're not here. Boys, can you let's go Drew on down then. Can you guys talk about it from your perspective, just the recruiting process and and then some of the conversations uh, that you and your dad had? Um, not coming to play for him, but then also some of the other schools that you, you looked at as well? Um, to be honest, uh, I mean, this is just me, but I'm pretty sure all the brothers feel like this, that we never really thought Ole Miss was an option. Um, not that I don't love Ole Miss. I love Ole Miss. I still cheer for him and everything. But uh, I just never grew up wanting to come to Ole Miss. always thought going somewhere else and uh, somewhere in the SEC just because I thought that was the best conference. And – LSU started recruiting me after my freshman year, and then uh, I had a good summer, and then other coaches were calling me, and uh, it was just kind of awkward. They, would, they Everybody kind of started things like, are you going to go to Ole Miss or whatever, and then I just have to tell them no, but uh, and that that wasn't even like an option at all. And then LSU, I uh, went on my first visit to LSU, and uh, I mean, I just fell in love with it, and after that, I was ready to commit. Uh, on spot but my dad made me come home and think about it not rushing to his decision and then about a week later uh, I committed to LSU and I knew that's where I wanted to go did it help that mom and dad both went to LSU uh yeah I mean growing up as a kid you always want to do what your dad does and uh, my dad had a really good career and history at LSU playing and coaching and so like going down there uh, everybody's uh, everybody just knew me as Mike Bianco's son when I was on my visit and everything and uh, I thought that was kind of cool. And Coach Mary even said, like, yeah, you, uh, we'll even make sure you have number five. And I never even wore number five until I got to LSU. But I just thought that would be a cool thing to do when I got there. And uh, I don't regret my decision to go in there at all. Ben, go ahead. For me, uh, I really wasn't that highly recruited at all in high school. Um, my best year was looking like it was going to be my junior year of high school. And then I uh, had surgery on my shoulder tore my labrum so uh the few schools that were looking at me kind of let me go I guess you could say um and so I mean I really just wanted to go play the best college baseball I could play and for a little bit it was looking like it was going to be uh some junior colleges in Florida um St. Pete College in particular was the junior college I was planning to go to and then all of a sudden Coach Mack was talking to my dad about something and I happened to come up and they needed a catcher in my class and uh, they started talking to me. I guess it was uh, probably like five, six months after I had uh, the labrum surgery and uh, I went to one of their camps and I think they saw me play in Jupiter. My, uh, I guess that's my senior fall. They offered me a spot and I couldn't pass them up. And Sam, having two older brothers, you know, three older brothers, and then having two go through it, and then what your dad does, how much did that help with your decision? 
Um, well, it, it helped a lot. Um, you know, obviously I got three guys above me who went through the same thing. I can draw wisdom from, and then obviously my, my dad who, uh, does it for a living. Um, they make it easy for me for sure. And, um, my dad made a point to, uh, you know, obviously help me with anything I need, but, uh, he wants me to, and, you know, he lets me kind of do it on my own. And just so, you know, I'm kind of making my own path for myself. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that. What, what have all three of you picked up from being around the game? I think the biggest thing for me was being able to go to the field pretty much anytime I want and watch them practice or, um, whether it was a Sunday before a home game, we would always go up there and hit BP on Sundays. So we're there three hours before they, um, before the game, watching them take BP and really just um, learning and seeing what it takes to be a college baseball player every day. Everyone sees the games and the dog piles, but what it takes every single day coming from class to practice um, or class to a game and uh, really just like how to carry yourself and uh, yeah, how to be a part of the team. Yeah, uh, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, Having your dad be a Division One baseball coach has its advantages. I mean, you get to go up there and watch practices or even participate in practices and scrimmages with, I mean, Ole Miss, who's a top-tier program, and just see, like, how the everyday life is to be a college baseball player. And, uh, I mean, just being around it every day just gets you better at baseball. Yeah, what they said. I mean, I don't know if I can add anything, but, uh, yeah, they said it all. Coach Bianco, how has it been competing against each other? Now, you know, with Ben and, and Drew being in other dugouts, how has that process been? Because you're trying to win games, but then you get kind of get to sit back and watch as a dad then as well. It's, it's, I, it's certainly, like I mentioned earlier, it's much harder on my wife. You know, I, I think it's easier for us uh, because you're in the game. You know, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's the question that's asked all the time. It was asked, you know, the week leading up to playing, you know, Louisville with Ben and then last year with, with, with Drew. Um, and uh, I think it's easy when you're in the game or you're coaching the game or you're playing the game to separate. Like, you know, this is my job. This is what I do. Uh, you're not, you know, it's not me against Ben or me against Drew. It's, it's, it's Ole Miss versus Louisville or Ole Miss versus um, LSU. And so I don't think that that part's difficult, you know, heck, uh, you know, let, let, last year when Drew hit a home run against us on Friday night and we had lost, um, you know, after a game, you don't see the opponents, right? I shook, you know, Coach Maneri and their staff's hand. I go, you know, we're at, we're at Baton Rouge and I'm out and I speak to my team. We go back to the hotel. We had lost. Uh, I'm not sure. I think we lost, you know, pretty, pretty big eight to three or something like that. And here I am back at my hotel eating my meal and getting ready to go to bed. And I look at my watch. It's a little bit after midnight. I'm like, I haven't even called or text my son who won tonight, hit a home run. And, you know, I felt awful. And so I text, you know, Drew, I said, Hey, listen, congratulations. Really proud of you. Love dad. And, you know, and he texts back, thanks so much. And, you know, the weirdest, coolest moment of my life. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, you know, there, there's still be stories like that, obviously, uh, but but I think when we play each other, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's, you know, you're, you're trying to compete for your team and, and win the game. It's not necessarily now, of course, 
uh, I'd be remiss to say how proud I am of them, you know, to, to, to all three of them to play in three great programs, you know, three, you know, top 20 programs and teams that have success, you know, as a, as a father, how can you not sit back and, and, and feel, you know, so proud, you know, that, you know, all of they have accomplished, you know, you know, to this point, you know, with, with, you know, much of their life in front of them to this point in baseball, you know, it's been pretty cool for me and my wife to see. What are some of the biggest things you learned from Jim Wells and then Skip Bertman? Wow. Um, well, obviously, I'll start with with Coach Bertman. I mean, um, I've said it so many times. I, I wouldn't be sitting here as the head coach at the University of Mississippi if it wasn't for him. You know, one, to play in his program, but uh, to get the rare chance to actually coach in his program, to – uh, to be there during the glory days of the mid nineties. I was there for five years and, um, you know, we won, uh, went to Omaha four times and won three national championships and just to be a part of the success. But beyond that, to, 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 to learn a system, to learn a way to run your program that's been successful um, at every level, uh, not just by him, but guys like Jim Wells and guys like Smoke Laval and, and, and others that have Randy Davis and guys that have been through the program. Um, and so, uh, so much of what we do today, even, you know, 20, I don't know, 23 years after I've left LSU, uh, we still do a lot of the same things. Of course, things change, the games change, technology, analytics, and all the things that we know, but I mean, there's things that if you look at our program, we did, that, you know, we have the same bunk defenses as we had when I was a player, you know, there in the, in the, in the late 80s. As far as Jim Wells, um, Jim Wells, it, the, just the work ethic, just the, knowing that, man, if you, if you put this kind of effort and passion, uh, time in, uh, you know, you, you can make a difference. And uh, I watched Jim Wells, you know, take, a program, Northwestern State, in the in the very early '90s, where they had ten consecutive losing seasons, um, and single-handedly by himself and a couple of GAs that you know cut grass and painted dugouts, uh, turn it into you know one of those mid-major powerhouses, and um, and and he just he did it with this system that he learned from Bertman, but with no money and no you know help. Just, 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 you know, sure work ethic, you know, turned it into a championship program and, and knew that, you know, if you put the time in, if you, if you really work, if you really grind, uh, you, you can make a difference. And I think more coaches, you know, over the last 10, 15 years have, have seen that, you know, that you, you can make a difference. You don't have to wait for the athletic director to give you the big budget or big recruiting budget. You could just put the time in and you can make some, some things happen. Three boys, your dad mentioned tech. What tech are you guys using in your development? What do you guys like that you're using tech wise? Um, what's the, uh, what's the hitting thing? Uh, hit tracks, hit tracks. Yeah, I think hit tracks. Um, they have one at Ole Miss, and we have one at Louisville. Um, I think that's probably the coolest thing we use. Um, just being able to hit a ball in the cage and turn around and look at a TV screen and know um, exactly how well you hit it, um, how high you hit it, like all the information you need to know. And uh, at Louisville, we use. I, I mean, I don't use it. This is a pitcher's thing, but uh, they use a wrap soto, which this little thing you put on the ground um, in between the pitcher, pitcher's mound and home plate. And it's uh, the same type deal, but for pitching um, 
mechanics and information. And I think that's really cool too. Ben, what do you feel like your biggest adjustment was freshman year of college? Um, like, uh, I would probably say, um, like I was saying earlier, it's, it's one thing to be around your, your dad's team and see how they all act and like everything you go, they go through, but to actually live it is, uh, something else. And, uh, our whole fall at Louisville is 6 a.m. lifts, um, practice in the afternoon after class. And I think I knew everything I was going to have to do going into college, but I didn't realize how much of a toll physically and mentally it can be. Um, I tell people all the time, my uh, first semester, that fall semester at Louisville was the longest duration of my life ever. It felt like never ending waking up at five o'clock in the morning and then finishing your day with study hall at like 10 PM and uh, just doing it all over again the next day. But uh, yeah, I think just the actual grind of working through a college off season and uh, into a season. Drew, what about you for that freshman fall? Um, well, for like a, a life point, I would say just the freedom that you get in college or whatever uh nothing against my parents but they're pretty strict here and then I moved five hours away and I mean I'm on my own basically living with just my roommates in the dorm and then I mean I decide you know what time I turn off the PlayStation or you know if I'm going to get up and go to class you know I have to wake myself up and being on time for practice and making sure you know I'm you know, my mom's not making me dinner. I have to, you know, I have to go get something to eat or make it or go to the cafeteria. So just from a life like perspective, I would say just that, just being on your own and knowing how like stuff that you never even thought about when you're in high school, like, oh, you know, dinner's whenever mom, mom says dinner's ready. Or, you know, my dad always waking us up for school and making sure we're on time. Like that's just stuff you have to do in college and you kind of grow, you have to grow up really quick and uh, stay on top of those things and being on the baseball team kind of makes it easy just because you know if you're not at if you're not on time for class you're running at practice or if you're not on time to study hall stuff like that so you make sure but then just eating right and making sure going to bed on time just for you can get up in the morning like Ben said they have weights in the morning stuff or I have class at 8 30 so just making sure you get enough rest and then from a baseball standpoint I kind of agree with Ben just like you think you practice and you work out hard when you're in high school, but it's a whole different thing when you're in college. I mean, being at the field for six hours after you're already in the class, you have three classes that day, then having to go to the field for five hours and then a workout that's an hour and a half long. And then, yeah, freshman year, you have mandatory study hall right after that. So it's literally like you have no free time. It's like classroom, field, weights, study hall. And then you look up at the study hall, it's nine o'clock, 10, 10 o'clock, and you have to get ready for bed. And it's just sticking in that routine. And it feels like it's never ending. But uh, I mean, it was definitely a, a hard and just a grind, but also a really fun semester of just being on my own. How much did things slow down for you guys then sophomore year? Um, a whole lot, honestly. Um, I mean, I think one of the, the biggest things coming back sophomore year is your freshman year, if you're lucky, you uh, like I know Ole Miss and Louisville does, they bring their freshmen in early during the summertime. So at least you get to meet the people in your class. But then you show up the first day of like real class and we have a two mile run that morning. 
and you really don't know anyone else of the 40 people in that room besides maybe the eight people in your class. Um, so I think the biggest thing sophomore year is coming back and already being, um, already knowing your teammates, already knowing who you're going to spend 20 of the 24 hours with, uh, of your day with. And uh, yeah, I think just being more comfortable and really just the environmental aspect of it, knowing like everywhere on campus where you're going to need to go um, just around the city of Louisville and the teammates. Yeah. I think so just being accustomed to the environment was the biggest um, change freshman to sophomore year. And then Ben, you know, you, Oxford's a smaller town. Was that an adjustment? You go from Oxford to Louisville, which is a big city. Uh, it is a little bit, but the cool thing about Louisville is there is a city and I, I think there's about a million people living there, but the campus is actually like 10, 15 minutes from downtown. So it's not like you're going to class surrounded by skyscrapers or anything. So uh, there, it's definitely a little bit crazier um, just with traffic and the amount of people that you have to deal with on a daily basis. But uh, it wasn't too terrible of a switch, though. Louisville's similar to Nashville, where it's it's got a little smaller feel to it, even though they're bigger cities. That's right. got yeah, a smaller a feel to it. And- yeah, it, I mean, um, it, it's not a New York City or Chicago. I mean, there's a lot of people living there, but the uh, the greater area, Louisville, they call it, like it, it's so spread out and it doesn't feel as big as uh, as it really is. Coach Bianco, how do you come up with your pregame speeches? <laughs> I write them. Um, <laughs> I love it, Sam. I love it. <laughs> Sam, thanks. Uh, I really – from from all over the place, uh, you know, and 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 if you find one, Ryan, a, a neat story that you think we can use, you know, please send it to me, email and text it. I'll, I'll take them any way I can get them. But I read a lot, uh, and so uh, and I usually read uh, nonfiction, so biographies or or some type of self improvement books. And sometimes there's there's little stories that are caught into there, so I'll pull them. Uh, of course, you know, I'll make a copy or. Sometimes I'll just talk into a tape recorder, uh, get you know, one of the office girls to type it up. Uh, I try to keep track of them. Uh, I find some of them on the Internet. You know, there's different things. There's a success hotline that you can call every single day. There's uh, Darren Hardy from Success Magazine has an email you know, a blog every morning that they send out. Sometimes there's stories on there. So, uh, and, and I'll reuse some of them. But what I've really tried to get a little more organized the last – um, I don't know, maybe three years or so is try to keep, cause I used to not keep track of them. And then I would get worried that, Hey, did I say this last year? I'd have to ask the coaches, Hey, what, what about this? You know, Roger Bannister story. When's the last time I used that? And then when you start to have coaches that have been there for a while, they can't remember. Well, yeah, I remember, but I'm not really sure if we, so we started, keep, I started keeping them in a file. Is that what you're doing? I was going to ask you, how are you keeping track of them? Yeah. I, I, you know, they're, they're all typed out, you know, however I end up getting them, I end up typing them out or get them typed out for me and I keep them in a notebook. And so I'll have, you know, 2018, 2019, you know, 2020. And so after, after a couple of years, for sure, three years. Uh, so if you think 60 games plus postseason, you're about 200 stories. So, uh, and, and to be totally honest, it started by, that was one of the things I took from, from, from coach Burton, you know? So when he asked me to put all his stories in a notebook, I made two notebooks. I kept one of them. So, uh, truth be known. 
coaches are listening in, give them like top two or three books that, that you've gotten a lot of that stuff out of, you know, cause pr- personal development or coaching or just life yeah. lessons. Do you have, I know you've read a lot, but do you have any that, that come to the top of your head? It's amazing. You know, a, a couple of, or, uh, I say read nonfiction, but the, I'm going to end up giving you fiction books. One lead for God's sake. Uh, tremendous, you know, tremendous book. Uh, any, uh, obviously the John Gordon from, we started with bus, but training camp, the carpenter, uh, we, we've used those books as, um, books, uh, you know, for the team to read. Um, we, uh, we, the team read a, another book called, uh, uh, old school grit this year. And so any of the Gordon books, uh, old school grit, uh, we, we like using them for the team books because, you know, they're about a hundred and, you know, 25 pages they are easy to consume for the kids that don't want to read much, you know, so you don't feel as bad getting to read. Uh, a really great book that we did use as a team book, but a self-improvement book is called The Compound Effect uh, by Darren Hardy uh, from Success Magazine. Tremendous. Um, when are uh, you introducing it, you know, for your team book? When are you introducing it to your team? I give it to them. Well, I, I'll try to figure out from the summer into fall, you know, that try to determine which book we're going to use. Mark McMillan, who just got hired at Charleston Southern. Uh, he's also, you know, pretty, you know, uh, avid reader. And so we will share different ideas or books and then try to figure out that book and give it to them in December uh, before they go home for Christmas. So they have about three weeks when they're going home and they have to have it done by the time we get back in, in, in January. Uh, another, um, just escape. Oh, um, uh, Andy Andrews, uh, writes some, some kind of fiction, nonfiction uh, books and uh, uh, The Traveler's Gift is tremendous and got, it's made up of a bunch of uh, true stories, but it's a fictional background and uh, really, really cool. Uh, Uses a lot of historical figures Uh, and uh, uh, Matthew Chamberlain uh, is, you know, Joshua, excuse me, Joshua Chamberlain, Matthew Chamberlain's a former player. I used to coach Uh, Joshua Chamberlain. Uh, talking about the, uh, the Battle of Gettysburg, uh, just a just a neat story that I took from that book. You've coached national championships teams. What are the differences between the teams that have won it and the ones that that haven't won it? The biggest difference is the teams that uh, I don't want to just say get to Omaha, but those national championship teams that I was part of, um, I don't think ever doubted that they could win a national championship. You know, the, the, the confidence factor is just at a different level. And, uh, um, you know, certainly there's talent, but there's a lot of talented teams. But, the, 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 you know, when you look at great teams, and I, I've made this comment before, uh, people talk about leadership. People talk about chemistry. There, there's that, you know, those uh, subjective things that you can't really see before the season that come out. And usually it's the adversity of the season that pulls them out of teams where you, you see the leadership or you see the, you know, the toughness, the grit, whatever uh, chemistry, whatever those components are at the end of the season, when you have success and they're interviewing them, uh, the players and the coaches, they, they, they mention these things. Uh, but it's, it's that, it's that confidence, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the it factor or what, but, those, those special teams. And because it's amazing, all those special teams, you know, you look back 
and though they, they all have success in close games. They're all teams that had adversity but were able to overcome it. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing when you talk to the teams that don't have success, it's almost the opposite. It's almost they'll tell you how close they were but couldn't do it. You know, gosh, you know, we lost, you know, 14 games by one run. It's really the opposite of the great teams that say, hey, you know, we had 10 walk-off wins. And people go, gosh, man, they were real fortunate. Well, were they really fortunate or were they really good? And it's like that, in, I think, in any sport. You know, you, you, you talk about the bad football teams that didn't make a bowl and they'll say, well, you know, gosh, they lost, you know, five games in the fourth quarter. Well, there's a reason you lost five games in the fourth quarter because you weren't as good, you know. But when you have guys like Tom Brady bringing you down the field, you know, that win the five games in the fourth quarter, that's what makes the difference. But I think at the end of the day, it's it's that confidence level, it's that belief, and not just uh, self-confidence in themselves, but in their teammates that we're going to get this done, and especially in a game like ours where I think you've got to have a different hero uh, every night. You just can't rely on one guy uh, because, you know, we're the one sport that you can't call timeout and devise a play to get it to Michael Jordan or LeBron James, right? Or, hey, at least I got Tom Brady at the end, right? So he can get it or he can get it to a receiver. At the end of the day, it's the lineup, right? Do the guys come in the bat in the bottom of the ninth or the sixth, seventh, eighth batter or whatever it is, that, you know, at that point. And uh, so it's, you know, you got to have a different hero every night. What about the catching position has helped you now? You know, I, I've shared this with other people. I don't really know. It's just my opinion. But I think it's why so many catchers end up becoming coaches or uh, when you look around from Joe Torrey, Joe Girardi, Mike Sosha, and it just the list goes on. Why do these guys become managers or coaches? You look at my coaching staff, Carl, uh, uh, Carl Lafferty was a catcher. Mike Clement was a catcher. Um, I think one of the reasons is when you're a catcher, you, you're, you, you play really uh, on both sides of the ball. And, well, you, you, you can interact with the pitcher and the position player. So you're a position player by heart, right? But you're in the bullpens in our system. You're, you're, you're in the pitcher catcher meetings. Uh, you understand what the pitchers do and what, what they're going through. And so I think it makes it really hard if you were only a pitcher. And I'm not saying that, but I think that's why very rare do you ever find a head coach or manager that was just a pitcher. I mean, usually they're position players and a lot of the position players are catchers. Yeah. And then I think it's just because, you know, they just got a better feel of all the aspects of the game. Boys, what are you learning from the other coaching staffs that you've been around? I mean, you grew up around your dad. You saw how he did things. What are some of the other things that you're picking up from the other coaching staffs that you're around? Um, for me, playing at Louisville um, under Coach McDonald, who coached with my dad, it's a lot of the same um, – philosophies and coaching styles I would say it's more just we learned a lot of stuff growing up that got us good enough to play college baseball and now it's fine-tuning our skills and taking coach Schneider's hitting methods um, to make it like I got here in high school from my dad and my high school coaches and they got me able to play college baseball and now I'm just learning to try to compete and uh, perform at this level mostly I think what are some of the things that have helped you to be able to compete and perform at the division one level? Um, I think one of my biggest struggles um, coming out of high school into college, like a lot of kids is um, 
I was used to hitting 380 every year in high school, like striking out twice a year. All of a sudden, like, I think it took me three weekends of fall scrimmages to even get a hit. Like, not that I was hitting terrible. I just hadn't had a hit yet. And I think just dealing with the, the failure and uh, realizing I'm going to get out seven times out of my next 10 at-bats if I'm really good. That's if I'm really good. So just being able to handle that and still play excellent defense, be a great teammate, and uh, just really learn how to deal with the failure that is college baseball. What are some of the mental cues that you're using? Are you using any uh, mental stuff to help with that? Um, we have uh, Dr. Vanessa Shannon is our uh, mental coach. I guess you – I don't know her exact title, but she's a uh, psychologist and – or sports psychologist. Yeah, that's it. And, uh, she, uh, we meet with her every once in a while and she has some stuff, but I think it's really just, um, knowing that my teammates have my back and I'm going to have their back as much as I can. And, uh, just staying positive. Dude, do you feel like that's a, that's an experience thing? You're seeing arms that you probably haven't faced consistently and you're facing older guys as well. Is that part of getting over the the experience side of it is just seeing those guys more consistently? I think when you first get up there, it is. I mean, like you said, uh, like Ben said, I mean, when you first get there, you're 18 years old. And, you know, like I first get to LSU and Zach Hess is 21 years old throwing 97 and he's as crazy as they come on the mound and I have to face him. And I just turned 18 just out of high school and you're used to, yeah, batting 400, barely striking out. And so, you, one, I think you have to get used to just seeing, you know, 90-plus every day with wipeout sliders. And then another thing, you just have to get used to used to failing a lot more than what you're used to and uh, but still having that confidence that you did back in high school. Sam, and all three of you can kind of talk about the recruiting process. You know, what were things that you liked about the recruiting process and then maybe things that you didn't enjoy about the recruiting process? Um, I don't know if I – didn't like anything about the recruiting process. Um, I mean, it was great to, to see, you know, different places that, you know, I, I grew up in Oxford and, um, you know, I grew up watching Ole Miss baseball and, uh, you know, going in the university and seeing everything, seeing how, uh, you know, college life kind of is in a way. Um, but, you know, then you go and you go to these other places and you realize that, you know, every, Oxford's different than every, you know, everywhere's different. Um, you get to see, uh, you know, different places, um, uh, go and play in different places, go and play in different stadiums that you haven't seen before. Um, so I guess that's a good thing. Um, yeah, I would say that's, that's the biggest thing, um, with the recruiting and playing all that travel ball at different colleges, showcases and whatnot is, uh, growing up in Oxford, a college town, you th you have like one idea of how a university is going to look like, how a town responds with uni with a university being in it and uh whatnot, and just going out and actually trying and looking and seeing how much different everywhere else is, and uh just yeah, just seeing how much different everything else is in, than Oxford, um, where we grew up our whole lives. Yeah, um, I'd have to agree with that. I think it's uh just when you enter that recruiting process, your eyes kind of open up a little bigger than what what they were. I mean, growing up, I cheered for Ole Miss to win every game, and I hated every other school and always thought Ole Miss was the best at everything. 
And uh, then, I mean, I remember going to Baton Rouge one year when uh, me and Ben were like probably like eight, like nine and ten, and Mason Katz and, and Ray Frimes like were at LSU. And I mean, I always thought LSU was, you know, ni- nice ballpark, really neat and everything. But then they ended up beating uh, Ole Miss two out of three. And I remember I was just pissed off and I hated LSU for like three weeks. And then when I take my visit there, it's like, and I'm there, it's 12,000 people playing. They're playing Mississippi State on a Saturday night and everybody's like yelling T I G E R S and everything's just going nuts. You're like, oh crap, this is, this is really cool. But like, probably like three years ago, I'm like, God, that's so annoying. Those guys are just so stupid. And so like, you kind of get a whole new perspective of it. And, uh, and I, you can become more of like, Oh crap. Like I would love to play here than other before that. I was just like, I'll own this, you know, till I die. So just getting a whole new perspective of, you know, there's other great, great schools out there and great places to play and atmospheres and everything like that. Coach Bianco, what are some of the keys to hiring good assistant coaches? And you talked about your assistants. What, and I think you've, you've hit a lot of home runs with the assistants that you've had. How do you do that? Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. I, I, I don't think we always hit a home run. Uh, I, I really, we've been fortunate the last, I don't know how many years. We just lost, as we mentioned, you know, uh, Mark McMillan at Charleston Southern. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is, has been as solid as a, of a staff as we've had, you know, that I can remember. And, uh, of course, um, you know, we talk about my tenure at, at Ole Miss, but Carl Lafferty has been, I think he's the, the longest tenured assistant coach in the Southeastern conference. And I think Mike Clements now been with us for six years and, you know, uh, certainly one of the best, you know, hitting coaches in the country. And I, I love my ops guys. And, uh, and it looks like I'm skating your question, but you know, I've been fortunate. And I think that's why you, you, you asked the question. But I think it's just doing your homework. Uh, I think that the times, and I've, I've shared this with Coach McMillan, you know, as you're trying to put a staff together, I think sometimes um, uh, we're human and you, you try to, you know, try to talk yourself into this is going to work or, or you try to be overly po- positive rather than being just objective. I don't mean being negative, but being objective and just listening to people. And, and I think the biggest thing, uh, there's a lot of great coaches out there. There's a lot of guys that can coach pitching, they can coach hitting, they can, you know, be operations, administrative type people. I have to find people, uh, this sounds pompous, but I got to find people that get me you know, that understand me, uh, you know, I'm big on communication. Uh, I, I, when I talk and we say, Hey, this is what we want to do. I need you to be able to walk out of the office and do that. And, uh, uh, even though I find that, I uh, feel that I'm hands-on, I, I, I want to know everything that's going on in the program. I can't teach the hitters. And that's why I had a hitting coach. I can't be the recruiting coordinator. That's why I have that guy. Now I need to know what's going on because I'm the department head. I'm the, I'm the guy that the AD looks at when he wants to know what's happening with recruiting or hitting or why we're not pitching a certain way. And so I have to have people that are under me or with me that get me, that understand when I have a question, I'm not questioning them. I'm questioning because I don't understand. And if that's putting a rooming list together for a hotel or if that's you know why we're recruiting a, a, a certain position or if that's why – 
you know, uh, we, we, you know, can't run this year as well as we ran last year, you know? And so I think that that is big to me that we got to be able to communicate and we got to be able to be on the same page. And, and so basically it's guys that you get along with, not necessarily friends, uh, but guys that really get, get, you know, we're all on the same page. Everybody understands what we're trying to do. And that's really refreshing. We don't have a ton of meetings, but we have a staff meeting every Monday and it's really cool. You know, we, we got, you know, uh, one of the best strength coaches in the country, one of the best hitting coaches in the country, one of the best pitching coaches in the country, recruiting coordinator, my administrative guys, I think can, can, can compete with anybody. And so it's really cool to exchange ideas. And then when we walk out of there, I think everybody is better for it and understands what's going on versus, uh, I hate surprises that walk into the door, you know, the next day and go, did we not like discuss that like 10 days ago? And how did that turn out to this point? You know? Um, and so again, I think that's a, probably a long answer to your question, but guys that get you guys that, uh, you can get along with and, you know, that I think, uh, share your passion. What are some tips for some young assistants out there that are trying to get into it right now? Uh, you know, get into it for the right reasons, you know, get, get into it because you want to, um, uh, you, 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 you're not, you just don't want to coach hitting. You don't want to just coach, uh, pitching, uh, that, that you, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, th- those are what we do probably the least, yes. you know, you know, um, you know, I, I try to, you know, nowadays because of the salaries, because of the stadiums, uh, because of all the things that so many great coaches have, you know, uh, built college baseball to this level. I think it's, you know, an attractive job, but at the end of the day, people don't understand the grind. You know, Mark, Mark McMillan and I were just talking about the other day of, you know, my first job cost me like $8,000, you know, over a course of two years. My next job, I was a restricted earnings coach at LSU and I made $12,000 for about four years. Uh, my wife was the major breadwinner in the family for the first like five years uh, of, of uh, our marriage. And she was a school teacher in the state of Louisiana. And so the school teachers in the state of Louisiana know that that's not very much money. And so I say that uh, because, you you know, the young coaches need to get into it because they want to coach college baseball, not because they want a courtesy car or they want to coach in the SEC. The SEC is really cool. Uh, it's, you know, it's got a lot of perks, but at the end of the day, Coaching at Charleston, Charleston Southern is pretty cool. Coaching at McNeese State is pretty cool. Coaching at Northwestern State is pretty cool, you know, because you're coaching college baseball. And uh, But to have success, going back to Jim Wells, man, it's seven days a week. It's, it's, it's you know, I don't want to say it's 365 days a year, but it's, it's a lot of those days. And, you know, it's not nine to five and, you know, go to the, go to the lake with your, your wife, you know, on the weekend type of job. What routines do you use to handle the ups and downs of the job? It is 24 hours a day. What routines do you use? Could be morning or evening routines that, that you feel like help you stay on top of things. Well, one of the things that I, I started a long time ago, and it wasn't really for, for my job, it was really for my family, is you know, as a college baseball coach, there's so many nights, especially when you have young kids, that you by the time you get home, they're already in bed. You know, because you're, you know, you're, you're playing on Tuesday night, Friday night. Uh, this is even at home, you know, that you're, you're probably not getting home till after 11 o'clock at night. Not to mention you're, you know, 
once conference play starts, you're going every other weekend at least, uh, not to mention recruiting, speaking engagements, and all those things. So one of the routines that I started was, uh, because I am a morning person, not a super morning person, I get up about six o'clock every morning, but I could get up and see the kids every morning. So I think Drew mentioned it or even earlier that like I was the one growing up, I was the one that got them up for school. I was the one that made them breakfast and, you know, uh, uh, toast or waffles or, you know, you know uh, cereal or whatever they ate in the morning. And even though I, they, they're not very talkative in the morning, they're grouchy and they get dressed. It was a chance for me to see that. And, and I needed that. And, uh, and, and so ever since, you know, they were able to, you know, go to, you know, kindergarten, but I think that's helped me. And now that, you know, now Sam will leave, I'll only have one, one left Catherine, uh, and they get up, you know, they're in high school, so they get up on their own. They got, you know, uh, their own car, but it's a good way for me to start my day. Like where I get up, I usually read for about an hour in the morning, uh, while I'm drinking my coffee and, you know, eat my breakfast, uh, and it kind of gets my, my mind ready to, to, to get to work versus, uh, uh, you know, sleeping, hitting, the, you know, the, the alarm and getting into a shower and going straight to work. Usually my first couple hours are here. You know, I get to work about 8.15 every morning, but the first hour here is drinking my coffee and, and reading. What's the decision for you to manage the game from the dugout as opposed to coaching third base? Well, I call the pitches. And so that's part of our system, part of the thing that I law, uh, learned with uh, uh, Coach Bertman that, uh, you know, pitching's, you know, 80% of the game. And if, if, uh, if you have a background in it and you can do it, why you wouldn't be involved? It's kind of, you know, he uses the example of if you're an offensive guy uh, in football, you know, it's all right to have an offense coordinator. You probably need that person because you got to go look at the defense sometimes. But if you wouldn't be involved in the game planning and the calling of the plays in the football, you know, like that doesn't make any sense. And everybody gets into this delegation and all that. That's great. But at the end of the day, you also have to, you know, uh, allow your team your forte. And so uh, I, you know, call the pitches, uh, but I do have a pitching coach in Carl Lafferty. So he works with the pitchers with me. I'm in the bullpens. You know, I'm there every bullpen, but so is he. And so during practice, when the pitchers are doing their drills, Coach Lafferty's with them because I may be watching the, you know, the, the, the infielders take ground balls or watching BP because I got to make out the lineup as well. And so I can't just be with the pitchers 24-7. I say that because I think it's very hard to call the pitches, to call all 125, 150 pitches in a game, and then as soon as three outs made, go run out and manage the game know who's getting up in the bullpen, which pinch hitters. And so I, I learned that it's a lot easier to you know, turn that over to the hitting coach. And then even though that, you know, I have signals to him to put on a bunt or hit and run or uh, uh, some type of offensive signal, Mike Clement also has the right to do that on his own. And, uh, and it, that's just kind of works for us. And so I, I think not that I'm not paying attention, obviously, on the offensive end, but it takes a little bit off of my plate to where you know your brain doesn't feel like it's going to blow up because you're doing too much during the game. What was the best thing about 2013 when you went to be an assistant for USA Baseball? Probably, you know, I think the easy answer is to say, hey, it's really cool to put on a uniform that says USA across the chest. I mean, what what a what an honor to represent your country. Uh, but that's probably what everybody says. Uh, so I won't pick that answer. 
my answer, uh, although I felt that way, my answer would be to be able to sit in a bus uh, and drive two hours to the next game or four hours to the next game and, uh, and, and, and sit there next to Tim Esme, uh, Ed Service, uh, Jim Schlossnagel, and just exchange ideas. Hey, what do you guys do you know, for first and thirds? What do you guys do as far as recruiting? What do you do about meetings? Like we have a coaches retreat now every summer where we don't go to a lake house. We just find another office off campus where we sit down and break everything down in the program. Well, I got that idea from Jim Schlossnagel during you know, the USA tour in 2013. So just to exchange ideas. And then probably the other answer would be, man, I look up like in the room that I am in here and look at some of the USA stuff. I want to say like 18 of the 24 players are in the big leagues, you know, from Schwarber to Conforto. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. They're college players and you knew they're great. Uh, but Alex Bregman, Trey Turner, I mean, these guys are superstars. And, you know, uh, we, we shared a dugout with them and, uh, and a lot of success. It was a really cool summer. What have been some of the best things that have come out of your coaches' retreats? Um, I think the, the thing that I thought would help would be more beneficial would be the, the actual team stuff and exchange ideas. I think just setting up road trips. Uh, what, what do we, you know, one of the things that I found was really helpful was uh, something may happen, let's say, early in the season. And I'll say, like, man, why, why are we doing this? Why, why does this happen? if it's a promotion for a game or if it's just something we do, we do and you would get the answer of, Oh, wow. I didn't know you didn't like that. Okay. We can change it's too late this year, but let's change it next year. Well, you forgot. And now it's February again and you're stuck again in that retreat. Some of those things come up like, Hey, can we change that promotion now and not do that anymore? Because that, you know, before you guys sell it and sign the contract to the, the sell, sell your phone company, nobody here likes that. So can they, maybe we come up with another idea or, you know, do we need to move the pitching meetings on Friday night on the road? Do we need to move them in the morning because this is the, the problem that we have a lot? You know, things like that that are a little easier to manage when you're not worried about winning a baseball game in, in three hours. And I think, you know, in the summertime, after recruiting's done, we usually do it in, in August when it's a little slower in that interim between recruiting and the, and the players show back up where everybody's mind's a little clearer. And, and what we do is also bring in every um, part of the athletic department that touches our program, from marketing to season tickets, uh, or ticket sales, to uh, the video people, uh, the grounds people, academics, uh, compliance. Uh, they all come in every 45 minutes. So we have one day that's just us and one day that's you know basically the entire athletic department and we exchange ideas about the program. And this we'll go around the horn here. We'll go with the the boys first. What are some final okay. thoughts that you guys have? And it can be on anything for for people that are listening in some some tips on uh playing, coaching, uh father-son relationships out there. You're all playing college baseball at a high level and Sam you're going to play college baseball at a high level. Just some tips for everybody out there and then coach Bianco will let you finish on that. I think one of the biggest things I've learned in the two and a half, three years now that I've been at Louisville, and this is going to sound cliche, but uh, is to remember that you're playing the, the game because it's fun. It's fun to you. You're not playing. Um, yeah, you might be at a top tier program like Louisville, and that might be one of the reasons that motivates you to do well, but it just should be um, 
it should be about the fun and the fun that you're having with your teammates who will be your lifelong best friends with the coaching coaches that you've uh, befriended throughout the years. Like you should be doing it for the right reasons. And um, yeah, I would say it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, and that's something I'm still trying to figure out is my dad always says it is, you know, play like how, you know, the players that are the most successful in college baseball are the players that play how they played in high school and how they when they were getting recruited. He goes, yeah, the talent's a lot better when you're playing in the SEC or the ACC and all that in college baseball. But he goes, you got to just play. You can't, like, think like that. You know, you, you got in high school or in travel ball when you're 12 years old, you were just – you wanted to go to the field and you wanted to hit just because – you know, you didn't really care if you got out or whatever because you knew the next at bat you were going to hit a home run or a double. Like, you weren't – and I think uh, that's something I've learned is baseball is a lot more mental game than you than people think. And, yeah, it's good to be big, strong, fast on that. But, I mean, if your head's just spinning 100 miles per hour, you're not, you're not going to be able to hit the baseball. And like Ben said, I think it's uh, – baseball is a lot easier – when you're just trying to have fun and you're not worried about, you know, the success or getting three hits today or, you know, making sure you catch this ground ball and stuff like that. I think uh, you just need to focus on having fun and how, and just realize that it is a game and have fun. Um, one thing I think I've learned from my dad uh, or one of the many things I've learned from my dad is that um, he's very, he plans everything out, you know, he, everything, uh, Everything's intentional, and, he, and he, he likes that from us, you know. Even in this quarantine where uh, we're really not doing that much, you know, we're doing what we can, but he wants us to, you know, have our days planned out, our weeks planned out. That way we don't procrastinate and, um, you know, lose track of time, not not be able to get out of uh, – not be able to get, you know, out of the time that we got. Um, and uh, sometimes it's hard, you know, because as a, you know, teenage guy, I want to uh, – be lazy and kind of, you know, just do whatever I kind of want, especially now, you know, where I don't have as many responsibilities, but you know, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely important to, uh, to, to know what you're going to do throughout the day. And y'all talked about it earlier with routines When you have a routine, when you have a routine and you stick to it, it makes everything easier. And you know, that not just in baseball, but you know, everyday life, you know, even for people that don't play baseball, if you have goals, uh, one of the best things you can do is have a plan, stick to it, and I think you have a better chance of succeeding. Well, you know, and, you know, you're doing this father-son series, and uh, and I'm sure there's people on different sides of it where their 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 kids played for them, and this is not this this works for us. This this doesn't necessarily mean that you know it's it's right for everybody, but I think at the end of the day. Uh, Cammy and I, we love our kids and all we ever wanted was for them to go to college and, you know, if they were good enough in baseball to experience, you know, being a college baseball player, we want them to have the best experience possible. It wasn't necessarily that they batted third. It wasn't necessarily that they won a national championship. It's that they got to be part of a team. They, they played for a, a coach that was a great mentor to them and, and taught them life lessons like my college coach did. And, and this works for us. And so this is their time. This isn't my time. You know, this is, you know, the I've, I've coached for 30 years in college baseball as an assistant or, or a head coach. Uh, and I'm going to continue to coach, hopefully, God willing, after they're done. Uh, but that's why I think it works for, for us. You know, thankfully, nowadays, uh, I, I can go home and I can be a dad. 
I can go home and the first thing that I do when I get into the, uh, the locker room is to look at the app. Uh, D1 baseball and, and look at, you know, Ben or, or Drew to see if they played, you know, and if they, they played, you know, did they get, did, did they get in the game and then go home and watch them on the, on the television. I can fast forward, you know, on the ESPN three app and, and get to their at bats and, and figure, figure it out and be the dad that way. Uh, yeah. I don't get to see him in the ballpark, uh, you know, except for on a special occasion. Uh, but maybe we'll all end up uh, next year in Omaha, you know, University of Louisiana, LSU and Louisville and Ole Miss, maybe. Uh, but uh, hopefully two on either side of the bracket. So there's a better shot for us meeting at the end. Besides talent, what do you feel like has been the key for those three to where they've gotten to besides having a little bit of ability? I don't know. I, I think they're good baseball players. I, you know, uh, and that's not just the dad in me, but that's the, the coach in me. I think they're, you know, uh, all three of them are, you know, they're, they're good college baseball players and uh, they, they, they have talent as you said, but I think the thing that, you know, Ben said to, to when they grew up, they watched it. They knew what it, you know, they knew the work ethic that it took. Uh, they knew the demands. They knew that it wasn't easy. They, they watch their dad, you know, yell at players or, or, or get on players or suspend players or remove players from the team because of behavior. They, they, they've lived that, you know, their whole life. They, they've seen that part of it. And so, um, you know, they've grown up, you know, I think viewing college baseball uh, through a different lens, you know, and, and, and I, I'm, I'm certain that that was beneficial because I, I remember grow, you know, as they grew up when they were young boys, watch them do something on the field that I never taught them, but they had to learn it from Matt Tolbert or some other player, you know, on my field. And so, um, you know, I, I'm sure parents have those stories where they, you know, their kids saw it on ESPN. Well, my kids saw it at dad's work, you know, and, uh, and I think, you know, certainly that that was a benefit. And, the, and, the, and another thing that one of them didn't mention, you know, but they all done it. They've all hit with my hitting coach, Mike Clement. And then, and so growing up, uh, you know, you, you hear all the time from the dads, Hey, he doesn't listen to me. That's why I send him to lessons. You know, I, I know it all, but they, they don't listen to me. So I pay some guy to teach him. Well, so do I, you know, well, the university of Mississippi pays for that guy, but you know, he, he does lessons. Matter of fact, in about a half an hour, there's ways he feels to hit off, you know, Mike Clement anyway. And so, uh, you know, they've, they've reaped those benefits, uh, you know, as, as a college baseball you know, son. And uh, that's good. It's the benefits they should reap because Lord knows that they, they've had some, some negatives of me not being at home or not being at a graduation or, a, you know, a prom or, or, or a lot of big, you know, events in their life growing up. Matt Tolbert was one of my favorite players to watch when I was coaching summer league baseball. He was unbelievable. Loved him. He was. Played right. Unreal. And Drew, Drew, wore, Drew wore his pants just like him above the knee, yep. you know, uh, back before it was cool. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for jumping on with me. So this means a lot and people are going to get a lot out of this. So and I'm looking forward to following the three boys here, following the, the progress for you guys. So if you need something, let me know. Okay. Sir, yes, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Thank so you guys very much. Appreciate it. Let me know if you need something. Baseball truly is America's pastime. We are all stewards of this great game. I'm so excited to shine a light on these unique perspectives. All of these guests show their passion and love for each other and the great game of baseball. This is Ryan Brownlee, 
signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks for listening to Father and Son, and remember to leave it better for those behind you.